Could not be a better song for our text today. Well done, Matthew, and grateful, Gary, for uh, a reading well done. Grateful that you're here this morning. If you're visiting with us, we are grateful that you came our way and, and hope that uh, you will be glad that you made your way up the hill. And when you make your way back down, it will be somehow different, somehow changed a little bit, reminded of who you are in Christ. And that makes all the difference to how you return back to life. And uh, life gets kind of back to normal, I guess, tomorrow. All of you have been sleeping late. It's going to come to a rude, abrupt halt in the morning. I'll be praying for your families and your households in the morning. Good luck with that. But grateful that you're here. We have a couple over here, Trevor and Maria, who this week, last Sunday, they were dating. They've been dating for 45 years, but not really. I think they're like 21 years old, and they've been dating since they were like four. Uh, but they, they were just kind of dating people. Now they're engaged people. So we have an engaged couple getting married July 18th, and we rejoice with them in that. We have... Emily, who is now uh, an immersed person back here, uh, and, and uh, she's on the fourth floor at NEA, and I guarantee you ever go on the fourth floor, I, I, I encourage you to practice this. You ask all the nurses what they think of that Emily girl with the two E's. There's actually two of them on that floor, I think. Make sure they know which one, and they love her. They absolutely love her. They just sing her praises, and, and all the people... Uh, also, if, if you know somebody's on that floor, just ask them if she happens to be the nurse in care of them. It, it's a bragging right for us at Valley View to be able to say she, she's one of our people and grateful for that. And um, by the way, their address is the same as her parents who just placed membership. They're living in the same house, which is why they're not sitting on the same pew. Um, anyway, so uh, that will be... If you haven't gotten your mobile app for the addresses and stuff, be sure to put that on your phone. I've used that a hundred times already. You just hit a name and it tells you where they live or even gives you directions to it. So uh, that, that will be helpful. And, and all those addresses will be on there this week immediately. So we're grateful for that. We're in Matthew 27. If you're making your way there, be there in just a moment. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. You know from your own experience how this can happen. One event takes place, and everyone who sees it, sees it differently. They come to a different conclusion about what they saw. A wreck happens, and different witnesses see it differently. Today, you'll see this played out like this. If you're a good Christian and you watch NFL football today, you know, it's the wild card games. You're going to see an event happen on the football field. And you're going to, depending on which team probably you're for, you're going to view it one way. And if you happen to be with a fan of the other team, they're going to see it another way. And there's going to be havoc and there's going to be argumentation. And there's going to be a red flag thrown on the field. Because one coach is just absolutely certain that 
should have been called pass interference. The other one is happy to say, no, it wasn't. And then the, the TV and all the people at the field are going are gonna to be watching for the next 10 minutes the same thing, 40 different angles. Super slow motion. They're going to talk about it and hash it and debate it. They're going to bring on their rules guy in Washington. And they're going to bring him on. They're going to say, what do you see? And he's going to say whatever he says. And it's not going to change anybody's mind from either side, but it might change the ref's mind, though doubtful. It sometimes does. But the same, very same play looks different depending on who's watching it. In Matthew chapter 27, we have an event in history. It took place, church. I want you to know this happened. This is a historical moment like Washington crossing the Delaware or any other thing that you know from history. This happened on the stage of this earth. Our Lord came to this earth, he lived a perfect life, and then he died this death that we're going to be talking about today. On the cross, innocently. But as he suffers and dies those six hours one Friday, there's all sorts of witnesses to see it. It happens in real time over prolonged six hours, but in Scripture, we have the replay. You can go through it slowly. You can see the different angles, and you can look at the emphasis. You can hear words that maybe even witnesses weren't at a vantage point to hear, but we get to relive the whole thing anytime we want to. Don't speed through that, and don't just read it to say you read it and did your daily reading and go on with life as normal. I want you to look today. I want you to look at what happened on that cross, and I want you to come to a conclusion, because you will. You will walk out of here with a conclusion about what you think happened and who that man was. Some of the people standing there thought, this is justice. We want this guy out of the world. He's just creating a mess. He's disturbing the status quo we want him out and as he's dying they're making fun of him and they're saying all sorts of cruel things about him throwing up humiliation along with the pain that's extensive enough that's one version right there in real time and we hear the words they say we consider what they're saying and we're looking at that same one there's also some people there who are kind of indifferent they're just doing their job. They just beat him because they're supposed to beat these guys. These are the ones who carry out the capital punishment for the Romans. These are the people who, it's just their nine to five job to put to death this guy on this cross, make sure he's dead, and take him down from there to ensure justice. These guys don't care who he is. These passers-by that mention him and throw up some words, they don't care. They don't have any investment in this at all. They're just watching this thing play out. Totally indifferent. And then there are the women. Mentioned one verse beyond where, where Gary went. These women who've been following since he was in Galilee. They've been with him since the beginning. And they believe in him. And they love him. And they've supported him. There are some men like that too. But you don't hear them recorded because they're scattered mostly. But you have some people there at the cross who are devastated. They're keeping a little bit of a distance because this is confusing to them. They thought he was the son of God. This doesn't fit how things are supposed to go. But they're still believers just confused about what's going on up there. All these conclusions are right there in real time. And I'm telling you, today when people read this text, all those conclusions are there. And in fact, all those conclusions are in this room today. Some of you look at this scene, you meditated on it when the elements of the communion went around. 
And you believe that man was the son of God. And you believe that man was on that cross because you should have been. You know it. You know why you should have been there. You know why he took your place. And you're grateful, and for the rest of your life, you'll be indebted, and you'll be living a life of faithfulness because of it. That's some of you. Some of you in here probably don't really know what you think about it. You're, you're kind of like those indifferent people at the foot of the cross. I, I know the story. I've heard it all my Maybe my parents knew it, and I lived in that house, but I just, I don't know. It's just a story. It's just one of these stories like a, like a Mother Goose thing, right? Maybe for you, maybe for some of you, you've heard the story, and you just don't buy it all. You'll come to church once in a while to keep the family happy or whatever, but you don't buy into it, not really. You haven't invested your life in it. It just becomes a neat story that you kind of celebrate at Easter, maybe at Christmas, maybe every once in a while to make the family happy you come on Mother's Day and stuff, and, and maybe you just happen to be here today but you're kind of indifferent to the story. That's okay. You were at the cross too in the form of other people. I want to look at what one indifferent guy thought about it. I want, to, I want to be as fair as I can. I'm bringing some prejudices to this. I'll just tell you that. I believe that man was the son of God, and I think we owe him our lives, and I want to spend eternity with him. And I think some of you are like that too. But I, I, I want to be fair. This centurion at the foot of the cross was just doing his job that day. He doesn't give a care about what anybody else says. Just get this over with so I can go home to my family. My job is to make sure the guy's dead, take him down, and just kind of dispose of him and make sure Roman justice was done today. That's my job, the centurion. But that centurion, over the course of that six hours, something got to him. There are two other criminals going through the same thing. But that guy in the middle, there's something about him that drew him to him. There's something about him that this guy, after the earthquake, that's kind of, we'll get to that in a minute, after the earthquake and seeing and evaluating how this man died, he steps back, totally indifferent when the day started, he steps back and says, surely this was the son of God. He has no vested interest in this. Why? Why would he conclude that? Exhibit A. the way of Jesus. This man knows the pain. He's nailed people to this cross before. He's whipped them before putting them on the cross before. Can I tell you, Jesus dying on the cross was not unique. We often look at this and say, oh, the horrendous pain that no one else suffered. That's not true. The cross was a common feature in Roman life. It was a common way of putting people to death. Jesus dying on the cross was not some novel thing. What made it novel was that he was sinless. Other than that, it wasn't novel. There's, there's, two, there's one on each side, guys, going through the same thing he did. A little more humiliation, obviously. A little more suffering before, maybe. But basically, this is something that's not unusual. And this guy has seen many. He's put many people to death. He's in there and he's done that this is another day at work for him and he's doing this and he's seeing this gruesome thing but there's something different about that man up there in the middle there's something different in the way he handles this and you go through the six hours and you don't see him throwing out here's what peter says first peter chapter two they hurled their insults at him but he didn't retaliate and he could have he suffered he didn't make any threats 
This guy in the middle, unlike the other two, it says they're breathing out threats and they're, they're saying things about Jesus and I'm sure they're throwing down these verbal rocks at these people because the only weapon you have when you're on the cross is your words. The only way you have to give any kind of dig in is by saying stuff. And there's that man in the middle while these other people are just shouting out things and cruel things and cursing the people around them and, oh, you know, one of these days of uh, justice and I'll cast a curse on you or whatever they did in that pagan world. There's that man in the middle who says nothing. Isn't that what Isaiah 53 says about him? Like a lamb to the slaughter, he said nothing. Until he did. And then when he did, it was stuff like, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's not throwing down verbal grenades. He's not retaliating. He's not cursing. He's resigned. He's intentional. He's purposeful. He knows why he's up there. And yes, it's agony. And yes, I'm sure he sees and hears the grunts of the awful experience. But this man is something different. And I want to tell you something. That's one of the reasons the centurion was convinced when he saw how he died. He saw how he acted in it. Jesus lived in a way that convinces me he's the Savior. But you know what else? He died in a way that convinces us he's the Savior. He died in a way that made a totally indifferent centurion who's hardened by this experience think twice and say there's something different about that man in the middle. And I want to tell you something. There's a reason why Scripture says when people curse you, you bless them. When people are unkind to you, you be kind to them. We act like Jesus when instead of treating people like they deserve to be treated, we treat them like they deserve the Son of God to treat them. And I wonder, if we were better at dealing with people who hate us, and speak ill of us, if we were better, would they see the Son of God a little more clearly too? Instead of acting so defensive and so angry and so bitter and so impulsive and so impatient and sometimes giving people what we think they deserve and saying that crude word that digs them, instead of doing all that, let's treat people with kindness. That's the way the Savior did it and it convinced the centurion he's something different. Exhibit B was this weird darkness over the whole land. Was this universal or just over the whole land? I've gotten my feelings, but I can't prove it. I kind of think it's universal, personally, because it's the sin of all humanity. But that's not something worth debating. This darkness is so strange. Now, you say, what's strange about darkness? Because it happened from noon to three I never expect a darkness I can feel from noon to three. Darkness to everybody, pagans and even believers. Darkness is kind of like a sign of something bad. When does the boogeyman come out, kids? Nighttime. When do bad things happen? What do criminals most, when do they most often act in the dark? Jesus even said, the New Testament writers will say, behave as in the daytime, not as in the nighttime. There's a darkness that overcomes the, the light during the nighttime, and it makes us eerie, and it makes things that you can usually see become invisible. And it's like, I don't know if you remember 2009, the great ice storm. I'll never forget it for the rest of my life. Going through Kennett, Missouri, and I've, been, I've been in Kennett for years and years, and I know Kennett like the back of my hand, but suddenly as you're driving through Kennett, pitch black, 
I had no idea where anything was, and I never knew what was lurking in those dark places. It's a creepy thing. Darkness is the sign of an absence of light. It's, it's kind of like the symbol of evil. And so darkness over the entire land in the middle of the day for three hours. And people try all sorts of ways to explain it. It was this sandstorm in the distance. I would like to think that Matthew would have recorded a sandstorm. Others say it was a solar eclipse, but Passover is always during full moon. Can you have a solar eclipse in the full moon? Answer, no. Any other explanation you try to find astrologically just fails to do justice to three hours of darkness in broad daylight. Times. What in the world was this? The pagans even would have said, something evil this way comes. These pagans would have, something bad is happening. This is ominous. That's the word they would use. And that would be enough for a centurion to think this is some kind of act of God. But for those of us who are believers, there's something more to it. You see, we have, some, we have a vantage point that's greater than that centurion. All the centurion saw, the way Jesus died, and he saw the darkness, and it's getting weary, and he's thinking this is something divine. For us, we would feel that same way, but we've got something else. Amos chapter 8, 9 and 10, when God says, I'm not going to put up with your sin forever this is what he says in that day when God finally brings justice to his people I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight oh is that not cool what Amos is saying and what happens well keep reading I will turn your religious festivals into mourning and all your singing into weeping I will make all of your of you wear sackcloth and shave your heads I will make that time like morning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. The justice I bring will be earth-shattering. I'm going to make it dark, and I'm going to take your only son. Now that was fulfilled earlier in God's captivity of his own people coming upon them suddenly with an evil, uh, evil empire that takes them off. But I want you to know there's surely an illusion here to what happens when God says, I'm sick to death of your sin, I've had it up to here and I've got to do something. And he makes the darkness come at noon in broad daylight, but instead of taking the firstborn son of everyone who deserves it, he took his own. The mourning of God in that darkness was over the sin of the world, but it was just as much for his own loss, the trauma and tragedy of a Godhead disrupted from its unity by the death of the second of the Trinity, the Son of God in the flesh dying for the sins of the world and God mourning over that. And I'm going to tell you this, our sin, no matter how small and regular a feature it is in our life that it's no big deal, is awful and it produces darkness and it resulted in the, first, the one and only Son of God dying for you. But that's not the only thing Christians should think. Can you think of the two most dramatic scenes in scripture that involve darkness can anybody th- just go ahead and throw it out darkness anybody think of darkness i hate darkness i like light i'm one i think it's too dark in here i think this auditorium is too dark and i've told the elders that and they won't do anything about it. so i'm going to say it publicly we need to light this place up 
I know why we do this. You know why you go into romantic, romantic restaurants where it's darker? Because you look better. I think that's why we go into that. I think that's why you look better when I can't see all of you. Right, right? I don't know. It seems a little dark in it. Darkness. Genesis chapter 1. Yeah, okay. I saw. That's an elder for you. Look at that. <laughs> Ask and it shall be given to you. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and now the earth was formless and empty, darkness. I want you to know, over the whole world, there was this chaotic, sea-like darkness. I can't think of anything worse than that because there was nothing to give it definition yet. And then what does God do? God speaks, let there be light, and then all of a sudden there's light, and there's darkness over the whole world when Jesus dies. And then guess what? Right before he dies, and then he speaks, and then all of a sudden the lights come back on. It's like the work of Jesus is done. There's light in the world now because the work of Jesus is done, and the light comes back on. I wonder if you should think that. But there's one other one. This is too good not to talk about. Can you guess? Plague number... Any kids know which plague it was? Plague... Number nine, Exodus chapter 10. Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness spreads over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or move about for three days, yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. Let me tell you about this darkness though. God has been talking and talking and talking and trying to convince Pharaoh to turn from his hardened heart and his sinfulness and instead listen to God. And he wouldn't, and he wouldn't, and he wouldn't. Then he would, then he changed his mind. And he just couldn't get through Pharaoh. And God said, with, exit, with, with plague number nine, he says, Moses, don't go back anymore. I, I don't want you to go back anymore. This is it. I've had it. We're not talking anymore. I'm acting now. And plague number 10 happens to be the what? The death of the firstborn. That's when God says, I've done enough talking, now I've got, to do, I've got to act. And guess what happens? With the cross, there you have the darkness, and God says, I'm not talking anymore. I've told you about sin. I've tried to convince you of how weighty it is. You're not listening. I'm going to judge you, and I'm going to judge you by taking my, my only begotten son. Man, this imagery is too rich to pass up. And for believers, listen, for, even if you're not a believer yet, you know a little bit of your Old Testament. Listen, this is not accidental. This darkness was not just a neat feature for God to throw in to make it dramatic, like sounds, you know, in a movie scene when something bad's about to happen. You know, it wasn't that. The darkness meant something, and it meant something was about to happen to take care of the sins of the world. You all deserve to die in utter darkness and in chaos separated from God, but he sent his son to die so you wouldn't have to, and that should be enough. That should be enough for you to say he's the son of God who takes away the sins of the world, but for some people, it's just not compelling. Exhibit C, the shaking. The earthquakes, you see in verse 51, two things happened as a result of the earthquake. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The word torn and the word for split in that same verse are the same thing. And they happened because of the same thing. The earthquake caused 
the curtain in the temple to tear, and it also caused the tombs to rip open. We're going to look at the meaning of that in just a minute because a centurion would have never known that, but for him, an earthquake was an act of God. He's not alone. State Farm also says it's an act of God. And they charge you, they would charge me an extra $900 a year to cover earthquakes because it's an act of God. Even they know. Even State Farm knows. The centurion says, this is unusual, this is weird. Earthquake means God's doing something and shaking things up. And, and that caused, it says the earthquake and the way he died caused him to say, surely he's the son of God. Something about an earthquake makes everybody think of God. It's a God-like act. Now, this is interesting. The word for earthquake is seismos. You can get that, right? Seismologist studies earthquakes and the, all that. This word appears three times in Matthew. Real quickly, ready? 824. They're on the lake. And it looks like it says a storm came up, but what the actual Greek says is the earthquake, seismos. There was an earthquake. It made the water storm, and the, the disciples are terrified. Jesus calms it, and they immediately say, who is this man? When your life starts shaking, the first thing you think of is, where is God? Who is he? 21.10, Jesus is coming to Jerusalem called the triumphal entry. And it says the whole city was stirred up. The word is seismos. The whole city was shaking with excitement as Jesus came in. And they begin to ask, who is this guy? When things shake, you go, where is God in this? Who's in charge here? And then Matthew 27, seismos, earthquake, leads to the curtain tearing and the graves ripping open. And the centurion looks at that earthquake and says, he doesn't say, who is this? He says, I know who this is. He is the son of God. I want to tell you this. If you live long enough, your world will be rocked. And the only thing that matters in those moments is, who is my Savior? That's all you'll be aware of. You ask the Mayvilles right now, where they have this guy who's perfectly healthy, diagnosed, and just, man, dies in no time at all, it seems like. Their world's rocked. Can I tell you something? It's rocked, but they know who their Savior is. They know who's in charge here. Like a kid pushing a swing, a parent pushing a swing of a kid on a playground. As long as that parent, he can make, you can swing as high as you want to, but when a stranger comes and starts pushing that, they brace up. And I know it just becomes very uncomfortable because they know who's pushing the swing. When you know who's pushing the swing, he can do whatever he wants and you're okay. When the earth shakes, the only thing that matters is, you know who he is? For Christians watching this, Centurion can't know all this, but I'm going to tell you. The first thing that happens is, behold, look. That's what the Greek, that's what ESV says. I'm sorry. ESV says, behold, look. It's saying, I'm pointing you to this. The curtain in the temple that divided everybody from God, that kept everybody safely away from God to where only one person once a year could go in. At that moment when Jesus died, when his work was done, it ripped that curtain and said, no longer is this temple the way to God. His son is the way to God. He did tear down the temple. He did rebuild it right there. And then three days later, there's another little earthquake, and it's the resurrection. They both belong together. We'll talk about that in a minute. Jesus replaces the temple. 
Judaism's done. Sacrifice is done. There's one sacrifice for sin. There's one way to God, and it's through the Son. That's the only way. But there's a second thing that happens. It breaks open the graves of people. This is so weird that I'm angry at Matthew. Angry. In eternity, he's gonna, I'm going to have him cornered for 100 years over this. And he and I are going to have a heart-to-heart. How in the world can you bring up something so cool that you bring up that nobody else does, and then you go on with it without saying much about it? Matthew says, the graves are open. That's not a big deal because they're hewn out of rock and they're above ground and there's an earthquake. Obviously, some graves would open. They open on Friday. But on Sunday, coming into town suddenly, are holy people of the past who used to be dead. Walking through town. Now, don't you think that deserves more than one verse? Don't you think we should be given a little more insight? Just pique our curiosity and tempt us. It's terrible. And I want to know, what does all this mean? I don't really know, and nobody else does either. I'm going to take a shot at it. For one thing, the impact of the quake is this. The temple is replaced by Jesus, and the grave is emptied of its power. Uh, it still has some power, but it doesn't have the power it used to. The work of Jesus. Now, you've got to remember, the other earthquake on Sunday is the resurrection. The death and the resurrection belong together. You cannot separate them in any way at all. The death is useless without the resurrection. The resurrection, though, makes no difference without the death. They belong together, and the earthquakes tie them together. And the mind of God and vindication and the plan of God complete. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus, through his work of his death, burial, and resurrection, meant that every man and woman, every person on the face of the planet has their own access to God through the Son. We don't have to go through a temple. You don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go through a man. You have your own access to God, so take advantage of it. The other thing is, death's reign is broken. It doesn't have the hold it once had because he breaks it open. The centurion couldn't have known all this, but we do, and that just adds further weight to his evidence and adds further weight to the conclusion you should draw. So the centurion looks at this. Exhibit A, how Jesus died. Exhibit B, the darkness. Exhibit C, the quaking. He looks at all that and says, surely he had to be the son of God. We can look at so much more. We know so much more. We have access to so much more insight on this. And my question is, how can anyone look at this man on that cross and what he did and how he died and what took place and how God acted? How can you look at all that and not come to the conclusion this man was different? That man in the middle up there is not a normal man. That man in the middle up there is something special and something different. He was the son of God who takes away the sins of the world. That place was mine and he took it and forever I'm redeemed from it. And that should cause you to stand up or fall to your knees or something and proclaim him the son of God who takes away the sins of the world. And really, that's all you need to know. All that you need to know to decide who Jesus is and what happened that day, we've just looked at. It's the same kind of evidence from Isaiah 53 that Philip the eunuch saw in Acts chapter 8. 
And he read all that, and he absolutely says, I see exactly the correlation. I see he's the fulfillment. Look, there's water. What hinders me from being baptized? You can't see it, but I'm promising you there. Behind these curtains, there's water waiting for you. And I'm going to say to you this morning, what you need to know is what we've talked about this morning. Jesus is the Son of God, and he came. But, but listen, he's just a generic Son of God unless he's died for you, unless you choose to accept that truth and act on it and make him Lord of your life. And I'm telling you this morning, you know what you need to know. And look, here's water. What doth hinder you from being baptized? Hopefully nothing. And if you're subject to it, you're ready to come as we stand and as we sing. Your only son, no sin to hide. But you have sent him from your side. To walk upon this guilty sod And to become the Lamb of God Your gift of love they crucified They laughed and scorned him as he died The humble king they named a fraud and sacrifice the Lamb of God. O Lamb of God, sweet Lamb of God, I love the Holy Lamb of God. O wash me in His precious blood, my Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. I was so lost, I should have died, but you have brought me to your side to be led by your staff and rod and to be called a Lamb of God. O Lamb of God, sweet Lamb of God, I love the whole 